Let's do it. Lewis Alzan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? And we've got all our lines wide open as per just about every time we open the show. That's right. And <laughs> right now is a perfect time to call and get your questions answered. Well, that's right. Got plenty of time to talk to you about it and answer get a your thorough question, question in depth. There you go. A lot of times folks call in at the end of the show and we either have to give them a rushed answer or kind of cut them off because they literally boot us out of here right at 11 that's so right now's but a good time to call if that does happen to you mm-hmm. you can always visit the website send lewis an email and get your questions answered that way or you can actually search the site for the questions that have already been answered on there that's correct and i've done a little bit of work on the site well every week i do but this week i actually changed some of the menus around i had a couple people told me that the site was almost daunting when you looked at it because there's so many selections you couldn't hardly make a choice so i reduced some of them moved something to a second page and so on so if you look at it it may look like it's slightly condensed what i did is combine some of the menu selections and moved them to another page like mm-hmm. for instance the detailed topics and the vehicle questions have been moved to another page under auto repair information great so when you type that it's going to bring up detailed topics it brings up vehicle questions it brings up the glossary all in one little selection there so it's just changed a little bit. It's all basically all still there, but it's just a little bit of different just format. Different Make way it, to get there. Right. makes it a little bit easier when you look at it because people have said they look at it and just, wow, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, very large site, 1.3 million words right. of it's text on that tremendous site. Tremendous site. Mm-hmm. And it's getting bigger every day, so we have to kind of try to make it as easy as possible for folks to navigate around on and you wouldn't think there's that much to talk about automobiles and we hadn't even scratched the surface that's it that's it exactly <laughs> and it changes it every keeps, year. i was just saying it gets worse every year <laughs> isn't that true of course you want to go on the website that's www.agcoauto.com put a detailed topic on there this morning on listening and smelling and feeling for symptoms with uh-huh. your car to help prevent problems, because all problems that you have, we get folks in all the time, and they have pretty expensive problems. Almost always, those started out as symptoms. Correct. For instance, it was a slight vibration, or it was a slight odor that was different, or there was a little noise that was different. And what this article goes into is what I recommend is every so often, preferably on a weekend morning when it's quiet out, uh-huh. Maybe get up early one morning, get in your car, turn the radio off, turn the air conditioner off, roll the window down, and just drive around slowly. You don't have to go very far, a couple of miles, and just listen to the car, feel the car, smell the car, and see if there's any problems. Familiarize yourself with the way your car is supposed to be. Right. That way, when there are problems, you'll know. You will be much more attuned to that, and you can start heading off expensive breakdowns. Correct. So, good article. Pop on there, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Yes, sir. Got a quick question. I sure. got a 2006 Silverado mm-hmm. 1500 Z71, 5.3. Right, Just got it. My company actually gave it to me. It's got an engine light up top this uh, local little you know, parts place heater on it. said it's a knock sensor. Yes, sir. That's mm-hmm. relatively common on that engine, David. There are two knock sensors on it. They're under the intake manifold. And That's the way Chevrolet built that vehicle, they're sitting in like a pan on top of the lifter galley. And right. if anyone ever goes in and tries to wash the engine or anything like that, which happens a lot, that water runs down in there, sits on those knock sensors, corrodes them up, and that's what makes that code start. They're actually down set into the engine 
So you've got a, a tube that a they actually set light. into. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and I saw a picture of that in the manual, and I said, oh, that's great. Got to take intake off. But that's correct. My question is, the guy said that there was, it's not showing failure, that it's showing like a cording or something like that. doesn't necessarily mean it's failed, and I'm that's just right. how critical is it. Well, number one, you're not going to get an inspection sticker with it. I guess that's one thing. Number two, and possibly more important, if the check engine light is on, David, and you ignore it, let's say something else occurs that is important, then you don't know. Right. you got one light that turns on 2,000 different things. Right. So a check engine light, a lot of people see it as an adversary, something to get around or whatever. That's really not true. It's actually a friend. I mean, it's trying to help you. It's trying to warn you there's a problem, and it can warn you of 2,000 problems. So... If you're ignoring it, it's kind of like the little boy that cried wolf. If you ignore a warning, then pretty much it's not doing you any good. So if it's not working properly and then something occurs, like, say, a transmission slippage because you've got a small leak, you don't know, you ignore it, you burnt the transmission. Okay. Now, um, it may yeah. not be the sensors themselves. We see an equal number of sensor problems, and the little harness that connects the sensors also corrodes up. So it could be a little harness. It's sort of a moot point because the intake has to come off regardless we generally replace both sensors and the harness while we're in there just because it's a, about two and a half hours labor to get to it, and they're not all that expensive. So, And there's also a procedure where you take some RTV and you build like a little dam around those sensors so that, that can't happen again. Okay, can I ask you one quick question? Sure, you bet. Question? I put new shocks, new tires, but I still got this. got a lot of miles on 196,000. Yes, sir. You go over a little rough spots, you feel a, a you hear kind of a knock, a vibration in your steering. And yeah. I notice if I'm turning yeah. and I go yeah. over a rough spot, yeah, I sir. feel it more. Yeah, go on my website and just click on the word knock or steering or something like that. And it's going to bring up an article and show you exactly what that is. That's a lower intermediate steering shaft. Okay. GM redesigned that thing about three times. The third time, I think they finally got it right. But the problem is, it's been doing it for a long time, which it probably has. It beats the bushing out in the bottom of the steering column. So even if you replace it, it keeps on clunking and knocking. What we do at Agco is we replace that lower shaft, and then we go in and put a clamp on the lower steering column to tighten that bushing back up. You can also replace the bushing, but it's kind of expensive to replace. You have to take the column basically apart to do it. But we put a 2-inch clamp around that thing, tighten it down, which actually tightens the slack out of that bushing with the new shaft. That fixes it you got to be real careful about putting that clamp on mm-hmm. because there's a special place that it's going to fit, and mm-hmm. it's not going to fit anywhere else. If it does fit somewhere else, it's going to interfere with something else underneath right. the dash. Right, you can end up causing problems. So, so. you've got to – they bring it to you guys. There you yeah, go. it's not a really expensive <laughs> thing, uh, Dave. It's about a one-hour okay. labor ticket. I want to say about 200 bucks for the whole job. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate it, guys. Okay, All David. right, sir. You Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls? There you go. Area code 225. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and kick that in there. Of course, all our podcast listeners out there would appreciate hearing from you as well. Sure. Go get it off uh, iTunes. You can get it on iTunes, or there's several other podcast directories out there that you can download off of. If you type in Agco Podcast or something like that on Google, it'll right. bring you several of them. I think iTunes probably dominates. Right, that was just the first one that come to mind. It is, it, and it's just one of those things, kind of like a crescent wrench yeah. or a skill saw. <laughs> <laughs> they got out there and did a really good job and took over a big, big, big chunk of the market. Like I said, there are several others out there that do it, but I don't think any of them do it quite as well as what Apple does right. or quite to the same scale as what Apple does. And if you do go on our podcast and you like it, I know I've got a lot of folks who email me and say, man, I really like it. Well, 
the best compliment you can do for us is to go on iTunes and rate us. There's a little rating bar down there. Correct. And if you rate us five stars, we really appreciate it. However you think it needs to be rated, you go ahead and put it in there. But that is the best way to thank us is to go ahead and put a good rating because that means that will move us up in the ratings, number one. And number two, when other folks go in, they're just perusing around, and there's 50 or 60 of them in there. They'll say, well, this one got good rating. Let's listen to it. Right. So we can get more listeners that way. So that's probably the best way that you can go about thanking us if you feel it's appropriate. Obviously, Correct. we're not trying to get anybody to do anything at no. all. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you're a bunch of jerks, hey, just don't do yeah, it. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's the way almost everything on the Internet works now is with rating systems and so on and so forth. And folks like Google and iTunes and all that, they pay a lot of attention to that stuff. Right. And they move you up or down in the ratings depending on how many people click on your site and so on. And if you get better ratings, you move up to where when someone types in, say, auto repair podcast, you're more likely to pop up than somebody else is, mm-hmm. which means you will right. and get, get grow more and listens. go and <laughs> yeah. get more listens, which is the ultimate idea behind the whole thing. So why don't you pop in there and see what you think? I think you'll really like right. it. We're going to take a quick little break here, a little bit early, but that doesn't matter. No. no we, got that way we have plenty of time when we come back in. There you go. Ever plan to move west? Travel my way, take the highway. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. In the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Automotive Hour, the host Lewis Alpazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call, Sam? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Last call brought up a good point, and I hear this an awful, awful lot. And I do understand the sentiment because what happens, the check engine light pops on. Well, most people do not understand or even have a clue of what that means. Right. And they do know one thing. It's going to probably cost them some money. Oh, anytime it comes on, it's going to cost some money. That's right. Check money. I was just fixing to say. (laughs) (laughs) And so it is not going to be a pleasant situation. No. Now, the way that most human beings deal with unpleasant situations is they try to put it off as best they can. Sometimes they go into denial. Sometimes they take an adversarial approach to it. And all of that is not logical, but people are not logical i know i'm not and most people aren't (laughs) most people are more emotional than logical but the check engine light is not an adversary it's not an enemy it's not something to try to get around i know i see this posted in forums all the time this light came on my dash how do i get it off yeah well you get it off by correcting what's wrong because it's telling you something's wrong just like if the oil pressure light pops on you get it off by putting oil in the motor yeah at very least yeah or or fixing the problem that's the problem 
But it's the same exact thing with the check engine light, except to add to the confusion, that light is checking approximately 2,000 different things. Right. Now, what that means is that the light is going to come on a fair amount in the life of any car. Some cars are more prone to that than others. For instance, General Motors cars, for whatever reason, are not real prone to check engine lights. Most of the ones we do see are one of about three or four different things. That's one thing GM did do a pretty good job with. Fords are a lot more problematic. We see more check engine lights on Ford products. Chrysler's see a fair number. And on and on down the line, just depends on the design, how robust it is. But as the car starts to get older, you're going to start to see that light more simply because when the car was new, every component on the car was new. And it could meet the specifications for those tests real easily. As a car starts to age, everything on the car ages. So a lot of things get closer to the edge. Now, right, the tolerances get That's right. Bigger. For instance, the timing chain stretches just a little bit. Doesn't mean the car is not good. It can run miles and miles and miles like that. The catalytic converter is not quite as efficient as it used to be. The thermostat maybe opens a couple of degrees before it used to. You know, things just, just sound like a human being. When you get older... You may live to be 100 years old, but by the time you get to be 60, 70 years old, everything doesn't work quite like it did when you were 20 years old. Well, exactly. Doesn't mean you can't go a lot further, but it's the same exact thing with that check engine light. Things start to become more sensitive just because the computer is programmed to expect the results that car could meet when it was new. Correct. And so, therefore, you see it a lot. What adds to the confusion is the way the light is programmed. What that means is you got 2,000 different tests to execute and check on the car. Now, it can't check every one of those in every single drive cycle. A drive cycle is start the car until you turn the key off. That interval in between is is one drive cycle. Now, it can't execute every test in every drive cycle because there's just too many of them. Not only that, but certain tests require certain conditions to be met before they can run. So what this does is it may kick a light on, it may stay on for two days, then it may go off. Well, when light goes off, what do most people think? It's fixed. That's it. Hey, you ain't got to worry about that. <laughs> it's but fixed. But it's just not executing that test at that time. Correct, to turn the light back It on. will come back. It doesn't mean that it's not still a problem. And now, the biggest thing mm-hmm. I've seen is when the light comes on, mm-hmm. you can go get code red, right. and you start changing parts. Right. That is the worst thing you can possibly do. Because everyone, the guy that programmed that particular vehicle, mm-hmm. not the manufacturer, that particular vehicle right. line, he had a different way of thinking than the guy that did the next line, well, yeah. even under the same manufacturer. Well, sure. And, and you've got to know that to be able to fix it correctly. Well, any code is just an indication of whatever the programmer decided he wanted to do. For instance, what this is is all zeros and ones going into a computer. It may be expecting to see, say, between one and five volts on a certain lead going back into the computer. And there's a sensor that's controlling that. Let's Correct. take a throttle position sensor just as okay. a... As you mash on the throttle, the voltage starts to increase. It feeds it back to the computer. The computer knows by the amount of voltage how wide the throttle is open. And it's expecting a reading between one and five volts somewhere. Right. Well, let's say there is some corrosion in one of the connections somewhere on the car. Or let's say the alternator goes bad, the regulator's bad in the alternator, and the whole system voltage goes up. Well, now it may read 5.5 volts at wide open throttle instead of or at closed throttle than 5. Mm-hmm. It's going to set a throttle position sensor code. Correct. There is nothing wrong with the throttle position sensor. Right. The, the system sensor, voltage 
is the wrong. The sensor is telling the computer this is not right. That's right. But it's an interpretation of data. Another very, very common one, we see this constantly, people will get an oxygen sensor code. First thing they want to do is go change the oxygen sensor. Well, it doesn't say the sensor's bad. Right. It says it's, it's out, out of range. range. For instance, let's say we have a fuel injector that is not closing fully. It's dribbling just a little bit of fuel because it's got pressure on it all the time. Correct. It's got power to it all the time. And the ground grounds it, the computer grounds it, which makes the pentel open, which sprays fuel in the cylinder. Well, let's say the pentel sticks just a little bit. Now, it's dribbling a little extra fuel in that cylinder. Well, what happens is that the fuel mixture is going to go rich. Now, when the oxygen sensor sees the mixture is rich, it's looking at a 256-count sweep back and forth, 128 is the center of the range. It knows the reading should be around 128, sweeping back and forth, roughly an even amount when everything's right. All right. Well, let's say it goes above 128 and hangs there, or below 128 and hangs there. It's going to set an oxygen sensor code. Doesn't mean the sensor's bad. It right. just means it's out of range. Because if the fuel injector is hung up, it's going to set oxygen sensor code. Let's say there's a vacuum leak. Now it's too lean. Same thing. Let's say the air flow meter goes bad. But it doesn't go bad as far as a failure. It just goes bad as far as it's reading. reading, right. For instance, somebody takes the air cleaner out, puts a cheap junk aftermarket air cleaner in, puts one of these oiled up you know, aftermarket right. air cleaners in there. Right. They dirty up the airflow meter. Now it reads improperly. So when the engine thinks it's getting 5 grams per second of air, it's actually getting 8 grams per second of air. Right. Well, that is going to make the mixture be totally confused. It's base set an oxygen sensor code, not a mass airflow sensor code. Oh, we see that all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, your car comes in, they change the oxygen sensor, doesn't do it, so they change the other one. That doesn't do it, so they change the other one. Well, Most people stop around the cats because the cats are so expensive. Well, that's right. And that's usually where they stop and, and start looking for professional for some, help. For some answers, yeah. But they have wasted not only a whole bunch of money, because some oxygen sensors can be two to $300 a piece. Right. Time. The time to do well, and they some may of have, them are nightmare to get in They and out. may have made the problem much, much worse because let's say you take a good original equipment sensor off and you put a junk aftermarket sensor from a parts store, well, now you may have an oxygen sensor problem. Right. Now you've this created one, a second problem. This one didn't even read right, right out of the box. <laughs> so now you've got an oxygen sensor problem. you still got the same code. So you say, well, I changed the sensor in the same code. Right. So it must be something else. It must be something else. So then you go start changing all this other bevy of stuff. You go right. on a forum. You go to your neighbor. You go to all these different people who all give you advice. And you can end up blowing 1000 1500 Oh, easy. You still got an oxygen sensor code. Easy. And it all goes back to that vacuum leak, which could have been fixed for a couple hundred bucks. At, at most. most. Yeah. Or maybe the dirty airflow <laughs> meter. Or maybe somebody cut a ground wire. Or somebody did some work and ground at one of the injectors because they put valve cover back on it, pitched Pinch the, the wire. wire. Yeah. On and on and on and on and on. The fact is you just can't take those codes literally. Right. They are data. They are not information. It's a starting point. Well, Gives it's you a, a, cir- a circuit to start on. That and with a lot of other things taken in context. Correct. For instance, the first thing a professional shop would do if they had an oxygen code or should do they're probably either going to hook up a digital lab scope to the sensor, watch and see if it's sweeping or not. They may look at fuel trim. Okay, well, the fuel trim is excessively rich. We're subtracting 25% fuel. Well, right there, we know this probably isn't an oxygen sensor problem. It's probably something that's wrong in the engine. Right. The sensor is what caught the problem. Right. We may look at the airflow meter and say, well, this thing is flowing 8 grams per second at an idle, which is not physically possible, so we know we got a problem here. Then... Again, they'll go on and on and on right down the line, put a sensor simulator on it, 
put the correct signal in there and see what happens. Well, the O2 codes go away when you do that. Right. Okay, well, now we know we've got a bad airflow meter. So these are the ways a professional is able to go in and do it. Now, I'm not saying a do-it-yourself or couldn't do the same thing, but you're going to have to have an awful lot of very expensive equipment. You're going to have to have an awful lot of knowledge. even more expensive knowledge right? because that's not something that comes overnight. That comes from years and years and years of working with it, reading, studying, right. and staying on top of it. And knowledge is something you can't really go to the Internet and pick up because there's a lot of bad information there. Tons and tons of misinformation. And I remember Dr. Diving used to always say, a man can't dig himself out of a hole with a shovel. That's it. If you don't know, then you don't know what questions to ask. Right. And we see that very, very, very often. And unfortunately, there are some barracudas out there who sell different products who are going to definitely skew Oh, what you need is a fuel injection flush. Yeah. Well, that's because they got a fuel injection flushing machine. They want to sell it and cost them six, seven, eight thousand dollars. Whatever. Got to make their money back. That's on right. It. That's right. So every car that comes in, it's kind of right. if the only tool you got is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you get an awful lot of that, and we get it in there coming. So well, I've had my injectors flushed. I've changed my oxygen sensors. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this, and life's still on. What can I do? Well, we need to find out what's really wrong. Right. What the problem yeah, is. What is the real problem here? And it may have been a very, very slight problem to start with. You, know, you made a mountain out of a molehill. You've spent a whole, whole lot more money than you had to and possibly even made the situation worse. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the bad part mm-hmm. because now the professional has to go in and figure out everything that's messed up plus the original problem. Yeah, because when you're studying something that is all factory original, then you know that everything is right except what's wrong. Correct. So it's not all that difficult. You don't have to take every single component on the car apart. You just have to go to the area that's broken, fix that, and then everything's going to be okay. But when you're trying to go behind someone else's work, now you got to figure, okay, did he take this off? Did he put it back on right? Did he cross these wires? Did he put a part on it was good? Did he put the wrong part? There's four different ap- parts for this application. Did Which he get one did the he wrong use? one? Right. And that is not only with check engine lights, but with everything. I know a lot of times we'll get people in, they've serviced maybe their own automatic transmission, and now they're having trouble. Uh-huh. And take like a Chevrolet truck, which is very common, the 4L60. It has three or four different filters. Right, depending depending on what application it's in. They all look identical, except they're different depths because they use different depth pans on those transmissions. So let's say you get one. If you get one that's too deep, you're not going to be able to put the pan on, so that's easy. Right. Or if you do, you're going to break it putting the pan on. But what happens very often, you go to the parts store, you ask for a filter for a 4L60 transmission, such and such and such. They hand you one. Well, it's too shallow. Now, it goes right on there. It fits because it's made identical. You put the pan on. Unless you took and physically measured the distance to the bottom of the pan, you don't know. Now, this filter is right up at the top of the fluid level, barely being covered by the fluid level. Uh Under the filter is about an inch of fluid. It's not doing anything at all because the filter is supposed to be about a quarter inch off the bottom of the pan. Correct. Well, you go around the corner. You swing the corner, and the truck goes to neutral. Right. Now, what makes it even more more difficult to diagnose something like that is that maybe when you did it, you filled it up and had just enough fluid in there to work. It was sucking right at the top level of fluid. But then down the road, maybe 10,000 miles, you forget about all this, and you get a little slight leak. You lose about a pint of fluid, which is not hardly even enough to make a big spot under the car. Well, now it starts jumping into neutral, causing all kinds of problems. You long since forgot about servicing the transmission. Correct. But you've got a leak around that top of that filter because it's sucking air because it's sitting right at the top of the fluid well if you go to the right guy he's going to figure that out he's going to do a pressure test on it figure out that we're sucking air here 
and put the proper filter on, you'll be done. But if you go to the wrong guy, you may end up with a transmission. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, yeah. uh, I've seen it happen more often than I would like lots to. Lots and lots and lots of times. So I'm just kind of a little warning, I guess. Do-it-yourself is great, and you can save a lot of money on certain things. But you got to be very, very careful what you try to right. attack and, and where you're getting the information from. If you're taking apart a original piece, mm-hmm. then compare the new one to it. That's right. If it's not very, an original piece, then you got somewhere to, to oh, go yeah. there. That's right. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. Zell- Check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the river to right. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep fighting Hey, with welcome back. He's joining us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesale, Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? Of course, that's area code 225. We'll be glad to hear from you and answer any questions you might have. That's right. Give us a call. We're talking before the break, I guess, about... Just different things, working on cars and so on and so forth. And I may sound like I'm against people working on their own car and anything the opposite. I'm actually very, very much encouraged by do-it-yourselfers because I think there are a number of things you can do on your car as well or possibly better than a shop can. Right. Particularly if you're willing to get the information, learn what you're doing. Get the right information. Yeah, and where most people really fall short is in diagnostics, which is a probably the single most difficult thing. Yeah, I hear people say, well, yeah, if I just knew what was wrong, I could fix it myself. Well, yeah, absolutely. But right. knowing what's wrong is the problem, and that's where you're going to go so far wrong. I think that comes from folks who maybe have gone to a shop in the past or gone to shops in the past, got the wrong diagnosis. Right. So they say, well, you know, if I'm going to pony up this money and have somebody else look at it, I at least want it fixed right. I just soon guess at it myself. That's all they're doing is guessing. If you can ever find the right shop, then that makes all that so much easier. For instance, I know most of our regular customers at Agco check in your light pops on, whoop, here they come. They wheel in because they know that we're going to tell them straight. We know right. if it's nothing, we're going to tell them it's nothing. If it's something, we're going to tell them it's something. We're going to explain it to them. We're going to fix it right the first time. We're going to guarantee it's fixed right the first time. And we're going to charge them a fair price. And they're going to pay a fair price. So it makes it very, very easy. And I'm not saying you have to come to us, but you need to find someone who is going to do business similar to the way we do it. Right. That's one of those things. What drives a lot of that problem is that when people have some kind of a malady with their car, the first thing they want to do is kind of maybe ask their neighbor or ask their friends what they think it is, and they come to some consensus between them what they think it is. Then the next thing they do is get on the phone and start calling and asking prices on that particular thing. Correct. Well, 
nobody determined that's even the problem. Have no clue if that's the problem, and most of the time, that's not the problem. I've seen engines and transmissions change just for that, oh, that yeah. reason. All the time, man. Just we, I hear it every day, all day long. Well, how much does it change head gas on my car? Why do you want to change head gas on my car? Well, the head gas is blown. How do you know the head gas is blown? Well, somebody told me it was. Okay. What's their qualifications? What, did they, what tests did they do? Well, nothing. They just looked at it. Okay, what kind of problem are you trying to solve? <laughs> Unless the head gas is hanging out of the block, yeah. you can't just look at it and see. Well, yeah, yeah. And you say, what, yeah, kind, of, what kind of problem are you trying to solve here? Well, you know, it's doing da 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 And probably not a head gasket at all. But what they've done, they called everybody in town, found a guy who's willing to lie to him, give him the lowest price. Right, to get him in the door. Get him in the door, wheel over there. He yanks the head off, finds out that wasn't what was wrong. Now they owe him at least what he quoted him, probably more, because he's a shyster in the first place. He wouldn't be quoting prices like that. That's right. And that kind of foolishness just goes on and on and on. A lot of times folks call us, ask us price. Well, I don't quote prices on the phone. I need to know what's wrong with the car. Well, why? I said, because we just don't do that. Right. You know, if you're getting good results doing this, then fine. Keep on doing it. But if you're getting poor results, then it's you need to do change. something different. Right. It's time to change. And that's what we're trying to do is something that's different here. We're going to check your car, tell you exactly what is wrong with it, give you an exact price beforehand, guarantee that's the price you're going to pay, and guarantee that's going to fix the problem. Correct. So to me, it's just a whole lot better way. But people have their own ways of thinking about things. Everybody has their own way of doing things. But there are things, getting back to the original point, that folks can do for themselves. Obviously, one of the easiest and most repetitive things that you can do is to change your own oil in the car. Right. And it's that's fairly straightforward. Well, that's one of those things where not only can you do it as well, you can probably do it better than 99% of the shops do. Right. Number one, you can take your time. Number two, you can put the right oil in it. Number three, hopefully you're not going to strip the drain plug. You're not going to forget <laughs> to put it all back in the car. Right. On and on and on and on and on it goes. In fact, I've got a nice detailed topic on the site on how to change your own oil, and it goes into some things you may or may not have thought of yourself. That's one very simple thing that you can do yourself that can save you some money, particularly if you have more than one car, because that's something you're going to be doing every three to 5,000 miles on one or two or three cars. Correct. So it adds up. Shops don't work for free, and... That's one thing you can easily do yourself. Well, and you got to figure too. You get a good filter, and let's just say standard five quarts of oil. Mm -hmm. You're looking at twenty five dollars, right? That's for the good oil and the good, factory filter. Good filter, yeah. Now, how can you go somewhere else and get it for seventeen, right, or fifteen, or, yeah. or ten? Yeah. What's, what's happening well, there? Something else is going on <laughs> here, you know. Well, and there's lots of people out there who do use oil changes as a loss leader. You know, a lot of dealerships in town do that, and we get people coming all the time. They got a list, man. Oh, yeah. Three-page three list of stuff that they say they need. And fortunately, the folks who are more weary aren't going to fall for that. They're going to come bring it to us, let us check it, and tell them. And 99% of the time, they don't need any of that. Right. Or if they do need any of it, they need a very small percentage of it. But, yeah, a guy who's willing to lose money on all chains to get you in the door. And you gotta, that's gotta what I think about that. Yeah, I always say if you don't want to change your own oil, find one of these guys who's at least reputable and listen to what they're saying, make sure they're putting a factory filter, make sure they're putting the right all. let them do the all change. Just right. when they give you the list, say no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I would go, if I had, say, a Toyota or a Honda, and I didn't want to change my own all, I'd go back to Honda or Toyota because they'll do them below their cost. Right. It's just when you get the list, just say no and call Agco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on in and let them lose money on the all changes because – they are putting a factory filter back on it for the most part, and for right. the most part, they're putting the right oil in it. So that's a pretty good deal you can get by just using their strategy more against or less them. against them. Yeah, right. they're losing money to get you here to sell you a bunch of junk. Now, they're going to tell you you need this kind of flush and that kind of flush. 
lady called me yesterday, and she said she she had a car at one of these car washes here in town. Uh huh. And she says, Lewis, let me ask you, didn't y'all service my transmission last time I was in? I said, yes, ma'am, about three months ago we changed fluid and filter. So said, well, I'm over at XYZ Car Wash, and they're telling me I need a transmission flush. Okay. I said, okay, and what are they basing that on? She says, well, you see this fluid how it's all red? <laughs> <laughs> I said, now, I thought I'd heard all the shysters out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah, kidding. Yeah, huh? the fluid's all red, so she needs to flush it. Okay. What color's going to be after they flush it? Right. Yeah, phew. So let's go back to our phone lines. we got Jeff on line. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Doing today? great, sir. Good morning. All right. I took my uh, F-250 power stroke uh, truck to uh, Iceland. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. You can't use any names on the air. I'm going to have to cut you off right there. Hey, you didn't got any questions, you just give me a call. I'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. There's all kinds of shifts out there. Not only that, but there are also people who, I guess they just don't know any better. Right. They may be trying to do too much. They may be a great front-end mechanic. Right. But they don't do diagnosis real well. Right. So you've got to kind of search within your shop mm-hmm. to what problem you have to get it fixed correctly. Well, that's right. We see that a lot. I know there's a little a little body shop not too, too far from us. And I saw when they opened up, they look like a pretty good little operation and all, but they do body work, collision repair. And I pass by there just about every day. I notice that they're not real busy. Uh-huh. You can look inside the bays. There's usually not a lot of cars in there. But now I see a sign, oh, we do engine diagnosis. Right. Well, okay, that's great. Now, if you've got people trained to do that, that's fine. And if you're going to do a good job, hey, God bless you. But I'm just wondering if we took a bunch of body guys and said, hey, look, we're kind of slow on body work here. Y'all want you to do some check engine lights for us. Yeah. And maybe not, maybe so. I don't know. You just say kind of, you got to think about those kinds of things. Right. When you pop in there, let's go back to our phone lines. Steve, good morning, Steve. Hey, Lewis. Hey, man. Hey, I've got a 2005 Dodge 1500 pickup with a 4.7 liter engine. All right, sir. And i got about 34,000 miles on it, and I noticed I need to change my plug. Uh, go back with the factory plugs? Yes, sir. That's a Hemi in that one, Steve? No. I, well, I, wait a minute. I don't know. 5.7 five, liter. 4.7. I know the, the Hemi engines require plugs every 30,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And Chrysler's very, very reasonable on those plugs. Okay. Uh, there's 16 of them in there, and I want to say they're about $253 a piece from the Dodge dealer. Okay. They're very reasonable. Now, some of your other engines use iridium or platinum plugs, which can go longer. In the owner's manual, it says 30000 Yes. Okay, well, then you got copper plugs right. in it. Yeah, I would probably check with them, and Chrysler uses Champion Spark plugs, Mm-hmm. which is no different than the same number Champion Spark plug you get from a parts store. But I think you'll be surprised if you check with the Dodge dealer. They're not going to be a lot more expensive on the part. I just go, that's where we buy ours at Agco. We just buy them through Dodge, and then you'll go ahead and install them in people's cars. Yeah. Dodge is pretty reasonable on some of their maintenance items. Okay. You know, like plug wires are fairly reasonable. Their filters are fairly reasonable. Their belts, for whatever reason, they... I know Mercedes used to be that way, and maybe they had some influence on them. Mercedes would tear your head off on certain things, but on maintenance items, they were very reasonable because they wanted you to do the maintenance on the car. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I would at least check both ways. If you take one of the plugs out, you can get a number off the spark plug, and you can call around. It's a champion plug. Give the number and get a price. But I don't think you're going to save $0.10 cents going anywhere else. Yeah, I just go to the dealer. Yeah, then. it makes it easier. And see, the big thing, Steve, that I like is you can give them the VIN number off your truck. Uh-huh. In other words, when you walk in there, have your VIN number with you. Okay. And don't tell them, I got a 2005 Dodge truck. Okay. Tell them, I got VIN number such, such, such. And all you need is the last eight digits. Let them tell you what kind of truck you got. 
Okay. The reason being, that forces them to turn the VIN filter on their machine because folks can be lazy at times, and a lot of times you just tell them what kind of truck. They look up that truck. Well, maybe yours has some kind of option on it that they're not aware of. Uh-huh. So oh, you end okay. up getting the wrong part. Whenever uh-huh. I order parts, every day, first thing that comes out of my mouth is a VIN number. Oh, okay. Then I make okay. them tell me what kind of vehicle. That way I know they really looked it up. <laughs> yeah, I see. But I that see. way you're getting the exact truck. See, that VIN number's tied back to the bill file from Chrysler. When they uh-huh. built that truck, whatever they put in there is tied to that VIN number. Okay. So when you put okay. the VIN number in that computer, any part you look up will be specifically for your truck. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good that thing way, to know. Yeah, that way you're getting exactly the right part back. I see that sometimes where we get a vehicle with a few miles, and maybe it's had the plugs changed in it once or twice. Mm-hmm. Let's say the last guy who changed them made a mistake, mm-hmm. put the wrong plug. Well, yeah. if I order the same plug, all I'm doing is perpetuating the mistake. Yeah, I see. So I, see. I go back to the VIN number each and every time, and you know, that's just the way to do it. If you walk into a parts store and you give them the, the vehicle-specific information, that's what they're going to look up because it's easier for them. But if you give them the VIN number, they'll use that, and that's going to be much, much more accurate. Okay. Well, one other thing. So, noticed in the on the maintenance, it recommended changing that serpentine belt at at seventy thousand miles. Is that too far out? Well, it depends more so, Steve, on the years than the miles. Uh-huh. There is a gauge that we use to measure those things because they wear and they won't crack like the old belts did. Mm-hmm. You can look at them and they'll look like brand new, but they'll be worn smooth out. I like to gauge them with a gauge. Uh-huh. I find that most of them go between sixty and seventy thousand miles, or between six and seven years before they wear out. But, yeah, I would definitely go ahead and change that. And like I said, same deal on that. I definitely like using the OEM belts. Okay. Uh, the aftermarket stuff, I find it tends to squeak a little more than the original equipment belts. Oh, I don't want that. Yeah, they're just a lot quieter, and they hold up really well, and they're not that expensive. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I would definitely go ahead and, and probably play. You know, it's one of those things, if you change it before you had to, what have you really lost? Nah, nah. Yeah, a few bucks. I mean, yeah. you could have pushed it a little further. Let's say a belt, a brand-new belt is $43. You can change it yourself. So let's say you change it 25% early. I mean, so it costs you 10 bucks extra. Well, yeah. what, what happens when that belt breaks there outside the interstate? Yeah, exactly. Then you got to call yeah. a tow truck well, and you're looking 80 to 100 bucks. En- engine overheats. Right. Blows Maybe the head gasket, burns the transmission up. Right. All <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. so. Calls a divorce because you ruined the vacation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that goes with most any maintenance items. Yeah, yeah. Batteries, yeah. coolant services, you know, yeah. th- things of that I, nature. I'm a little more proactive. I find most of those recommendations are kind of the blue sky. Thing. High end. You know, they get kudos from J.D. Powers and all for having little maintenance or no maintenance on vehicles. So yeah. they have stretched those out just trying to make the car look more maintenance-free. But I think they're kind of, a lot of them are blue sky. I definitely believe in maintenance. Oh, so. yeah. Well, anyway, thanks, guys. Okay, Steve. All right, sir. Okay. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. We're going to go ahead and take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hervolted Supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, Some days... 
I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, I'm Lewis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we're going to the phone lines with Andre. Good morning, Andre. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got a Ford F-150 oh. O3 model. Yes, sir. And a while back on my uh, AC, it stopped coming through the front panel and started coming out of the vent. Okay. So I started using the uh, panel and floor button on it. Okay. And now it starts cycling from the front vent to the defrost vent. Yes, sir. That's kind of a normal progression on there, Andre. I'd have to look at the schematic on that one and see if that's vacuum operated or if it's electronically operated because they used both around that time period. The newer ones are all electronic. The old ones were all vacuum. But right around 03 is when they start switching all that over. Let me give you a couple things, though. If it's, okay. if it's vacuum operated, you've probably got a vacuum leak somewhere in that system, and the main line runs through the firewall over on the right-hand side by the blower motor somewhere. If you get a little tiny pinhole in there, what happens is that, so we're getting a lot of feedback. Turn your radio down. I got it. Oh, I think it may be this uh, Bluetooth. Let me take it off. Okay. Anyway, you got a vacuum leak. What happens is there's a spring in that thing, and the default reading is defrost. Because that's a safety feature. So if it gets no vacuum, it goes to defrost. Okay. But if the vacuum gets weak, it's still got some. It can pull it down some, but it, you know, it's not going all the way down to where it needs to be. As the crack or leak gets worse and worse, then it'll slowly go more and more and more until it goes all the way to defrost and it won't come off. So a vacuum leak would be one of the things. Now, if yours is the electronic one, it works differently. It's got little stepper motors in there. It turns the doors to move all that. That's called the mode door actuator. Ford has kind of a nasty habit on some of those. It's a plastic door, and what happens, a little actuator motor, it's got a square tang that fits down into that door. It'll break or crack that door. Now, when that happens, the motor's still moving the full amount, but the door's not moving because, you know, the hole's bigger than it's supposed to be. So it'll push it part of the way. As it degrades further, it'll just crack completely. Then it's going to stay wherever it's at, and the door's moving, you know, the motor's moving back forward, but it's not moving that little door. Now, if that's the case, that's a pretty big deal. You have to pull part of the dash out to get to it, and you have to replace that evaporator case to fix it. Okay. So hopefully you got the vacuum operated system. <laughs> yeah. But they did use both of them right around that time frame, right around 03 and 04 is when they started changing over. So just see if you can determine which one you got. If you look under there and you see a bunch of little vacuum operated dash pots with different color vacuum lines, little eighth inch plastic lines, then you got the vacuum system. Start looking for a vacuum leak. If you don't okay. see any of that and you just see some wires and some motors on there, then – it may be, unless you're real, real handy, it may be over your head. You might want to take it to somebody and let them check it for you. Okay, and that's going to be around the blower motor. Well, the vacuum line goes in around the blower motor, but if you look under the dash, just kind of crawl on there and get a light and stick on there, you'll see a bunch of little one-eighth-inch vacuum lines, and usually they're different colors, and they go to little 
you know what a dash pot looks like? Kind, uh, kind of a little silver cylinder with a rod coming out and a vacuum line going into it, a little chamber-like. Okay. If you see some of those hanging off that case, then you got a vacuum system. Right. If you don't see any of that, it's probably electronic, and you know, you're going to be into the other. The other thing is you could look it up in service data, and it would tell you. don't know off the top of my head exactly which one your truck has. All right. All Thank you, sir. Okay, Cheers. Andre. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. I want to be part of the Automotive Hour. We would love to have you. And we got Colin online. Good morning, Colin. How are you doing this morning? Appreciate doing great, you. sir. Good morning. Appreciate you taking the call. I yes, got sir. a 2000 Avalon. It's got about 85,000 on it. Okay. Does it have a timing chain or a belt? Now, change that. Yeah, 2000 miles is going to have a three liter motor. That's going to have a belt on it. Okay. And sir. you're going to be way past due on that thing, Colin, because it's it's like 105,000 miles, but it's also seven, seven years. years. Right. Okay. And the years are more critical than the miles. And see, so you're going on almost 12 years now. All right, you're on borrowed time. Yeah, if that thing breaks, it's going to take the motor out. I've got one sitting in my shop right now that they're fixing to call St. Vincent to Paul to come get it because the belt broke and valves hit the piston and it took the motor out. Okay, so, now I've changed that other belt. That yeah, that's over. a serpentine belt on the outside. That's nothing, but the timing belt is below the timing cover inside the motor. Right, you can't you see it from the outside. cannot see it at all. There's no way to inspect it. There's no way to check it. You just have so to change it. get it, it changed as soon as possible. Yes, I definitely would because the years are actually worse than the miles. Okay. For instance, if you drove 105,000 miles in one year, that belt would still look like brand new. It wouldn't right. be hurt at all because it don't care if it's going around or sitting there. But if you wait 10 or 12 years, even if you got 20,000 miles, it's going to be worse smooth out because it deteriorates over time. It's just like a right. rubber belt on the outside. That's right. you can see. Now, while you're in there, Colin, what you want to do, and you can get different opinions on this. I'm just going to give you mine. A good bit of the cost of changing the time belt is labor to tear the whole front of that motor down. Now, while right. you're in there, you got a water pump that's sitting right there. It's 12 years old, too. you got two camshaft seals. you got a crankshaft seal. you got an all-pump seal. You got a idler pulley and a tensioner pulley. All those are under the timing cover. Now, each one of those costs money, so it costs you more money to change them. But this is my thought. If we're going to spend all the money to go in here, all that stuff's sitting right there, I like to change it all because I don't want to come back in six months and the water pump starts leaking. I'm doing the whole job over again. Sure, I agree. And if, or if, if an idler, pump, well, if the yeah. water pump goes bad and the coolant gets on the belt, yeah. then it ruins the belt. Throws the belt off. Right. So that's just the way we do it. That's good advice. All right, Ms. Collin. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good day. Bye-bye. Hey, we're squandering another perfectly good hour. That's it. Answering a lot of good questions. That's right. we got to go ahead and get on out here. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And hit iTunes and rate us. That's right. Get, was, get some more people listening. Right. Keep your emails coming. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.